0: Conclusion. Embracing the principles. Let your intelligence begin to rule whenever you sit with others, using this sane idea. Leave all your cocked guns in a field, far from us, one of those damn things might go off. is this sane idea. Some time ago I chose to live my life at the conversational cliff's edge, breathing my way through a whole series, a whole lifetime of fierce conversations with myself, my family, my friends, my clients, my colleagues. (laughs) I've got that completely wrong. Some time ago, I chose to live my life at the conversational cliff's edge, breathing my way through a whole series, a whole lifetime of fierce conversations with friends, family, clients, colleagues, and of course, myself. While the principles of free conversation or fierce conversations may be impossible to live up to every day in every conversation, they're certainly something to aim for for your organization's sake, for the sake of your personal relationships, and most importantly, for your own sake. Don't be hard on yourself if you stumble from time to time. Don't let a failed conversation keep you from trying again. Hang on and hang in. Take it one conversation at a time, one day at a time. Rather than settle on a plateau of maturity, look around for people whose conversations are memorable, people who wake you up and provoke your learning, people who are real. Excellence rubs off. You'll be better company for having kept the best company. As I said earlier, fierce is an attitude, a skill set, a mindset, a way of life, a way of leading, a strategy for getting things done. At Coast Capital Savings, Manager of Corporate Learning Trina Hamilton has said this about the work they've done over the years to integrate fierce conversations into their culture. This is an important body of work at Coast. We live to bring financial well-being to our credit union members and that purpose is fulfilled one member at a time through conversations. I want those conversations to be fierce. In 2015, we launched an in-house development programme for leaders called Leaders Who Inspire. It's a cohort-based programme spanning several months. Fierce conversations are the thread that holds the programme together. Since launch, we've we've had almost 100 leaders from across all business lines and representing all levels participate. At the end of the programme, here are some real examples of what graduates say. I shifted from holding people accountable to holding people able. I learned that coaching is not about providing answers, it's helping people to find answers. I tackle my toughest challenges today. I learned to always ask for feedback. You never know what you might learn about yourself. I communicate more effectively, resulting in richer relationships. I'm not afraid to come out from behind myself and be vulnerable in conversations. I am more self-aware of how I'm engaging my team in real conversations that ignite confidence, courage and purpose. I treat every conversation as a relationship. I stay present and curious in every conversation and have the courage to interrogate reality. I am self-aware of my legacy and how I want to show up as a leader. Trina added, It's not just what the graduates say about their leadership that's shifted because of FIS. It's what happened around them and through them. I've heard countless anecdotal comments from the participants' leaders, colleagues and team members that point to the magic ingredient behind the programme. One senior leader told me when he walks into a branch, he can tell right away if it's led by a a leader who inspire graduate. He said with a curiously delighted smile that the energy is just different. A graduate used the beach ball conversation to engage over 60 leaders in a solution focused conversation that yielded a $100,000 return to our bottom line in one month. Another graduate was promoted to a very senior strategic role. She said the program was the reason she had the courage to apply for the role. The chair of our board of directors received a copy of Fierce Conversations at a graduation event and immediately had all 25 graduates sign it. Since then, we've given a copy of both Fierce Conversations and Fierce Leadership to every board member. One board member asked for another copy for her executive husband. For me, an unforeseen reward for practising the seven principles has been a sense of sinew growing throughout my body. I've lost weight, gotten lean, amazing. Maybe it has to do with being willing to be vulnerable without defence. No protective mechanisms, no armour required. Perhaps it has to do with my effort to trim all that I say to the barest bone. How close to the bone can I get? How authentic, how accurate and clear. The result is that these days I travel light, agenda free. So where should you begin? By doing. Action teaches. Engaging in fierce conversations every day will reveal the value of saying what you need to say, what you long to say. Should you run out the door, collar the first poor bloke who catches your eye and haul his sorry backside off for a fierce conversation? Not yet. Instead, begin by tuning into yourself. Spend time alone, in silence. When silence has performed its useful work, do listen to music. Country, classical, blues, rock, opera, Celtic, whatever pleases you. Close the door, turn off the TV, silence your phone, put on music that you love and let yourself feel. Writing the first edition of this book, I often listened to Kelly Joe Phelps' CD, Sky Like a Broken Clock. I love his sound, a cross between Springsteen, Doc Boggs and someone from somewhere on the banks of the Mississippi. The lyrics are lovely but secondary. It's simply what this music evokes in me, unbidden dropping me into a funky, smooth and groovy place where I want to pour a glass of red wine, light a fire and reminisce. I remember evenings with friends, playing our guitars and singing by the Missouri River, my she- my freshman year of college. I can see Kelly Joe Phelps' music with my eyes. He's tapped into an artery somehow. You can't get that just anywhere. Different gifts, memories and emotions would be evoked by listening to Rost- Rostropovich playing Bach's cello suites or to Alastair Fraser's Scottish fiddle or Mark O'Connor's Appalachia waltz. I discovered Barrington Filong through the Inspector Morse television series. Ennio Morricone because of the mission. He's 87 as I write this, with no plans to retire. I want him to live forever. I pick my moods with my music. Gifts, all. Listening to music that you love will allow you to feel what is there for you to feel. Even if you've locked the door and wedged a chair under the knob. That's why we need music. Seek it. Sometimes avoid it. There are some songs I have to turn off. Just can't take it right now. Put down the newspaper, the magazine, the stock market report, the crumpled articles stuffed in your briefcase, your cell phone. Read a book. Don't just read non-fiction pick up a classic work of fiction, or a new one. Because I often quote fiction in my writing and talks, people ask me what books I've loved. So many. Recently, I recommend Martin Martin by Brian Doyle, The Unlikely Pilgr- Pilgrimage of Harold Fry by Rachel Joyce, A Man Called Ove by Frederick Batman. Louise Penny's Inspector Gamache series, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doer. H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald, Angle of Repose by Wallace Stegner A Reliable Wife by Robert Gulrick, Independence Day by Richard Ford Pick up Tolkien Lose yourself with hobbits, orcs and wizards Lose yourself in hope of finding yourself If you want to meet someone who's had an extended, fierce conversation with herself and offers that marvellously flawed self I forgot I set the alarm, sorry <laughs> If you want to meet someone who has had an extended, fierce conversation with herself and offers that marvellously flawed self to any who care, read Bird by Bird or Travelling Mercies by Anne Lamott, read Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard, or read A Joseph Campbell Companion. I fantasise what it would be like to have these authors as neighbours. When there's a good book in the house, why turn on the TV? Read poetry. Read good poetry, if possible. Don't try to understand it. You'll know it's good when it evokes something for you. A memory, a vivid picture, an emotion, an insight, a trembling of tectonic plates. Read David White's poems. Pick up The Gift, poems by Havis, the great Sufi master, translated by Daniel Ladinsky. Here was a man happy to be in his own skin. You will smile, laugh out loud and take walks. There has been much talk of being on the path. It seems to me that too many people are forever seeking, never finding. Why not let the way itself arrive? I suspect you already know what to do. For me, the way is an ongoing, robust conversation with all that life has to offer. During works, I converse with lavender roses beside the ocean, quicksilver fishes in alpine lakes, wind song, lapping water, the wide listening sky... I take my lunch amid the blue-eyed grass and nodding campion at the foot of a laurel that has mated with a copper bench, with a copper beech, conversing with my own essential nature. Back at home, the conversation continues with friends and family. What matters is how quickly we do what our souls direct. One fall, after leaving several workshops in London, I spent a day walking through the countryside in southern England with my friend Graham Thompson. In the late afternoon, as we returned to Graham and his wife Charlotte's home, I said thank you for this glorious day. He smiled and said, Now you must pay. I've been asked to ring the church bells for a wedding this evening. It takes two people and my usual partner isn't feeling well. A few hours later, I followed Graham up a rickety staircase in an ancient country church atop a hill. Graham lifted a trapdoor, and we clambered through it into a tiny belfry. The ropes to eight bells above the wooden planks over our heads were attached to eight wooden levers. There was barely time to practice six variations, including the standard peel of the highest to lowest note. Graham managed to unstick the lever connected to the smallest bell, just as the guests and bridal party arrived. When the minister rapped on the trapdoor, Graham and I looked at each other and grinned, and I pulled the first lever. Though our concentration was intense, our first efforts were not the joyful noise to which we aspired but as my confidence grew and the bells responded to my touch and timing I began to feel them in my chest literally reverberating in my ribcage. I was not aware that Graham and I were laughing until the trap door lifted and someone called up to us. They can hear you in the church. Fierce conversations will allow you to feel. Feel what? Something. Anything. What music evokes. Belly laughter, your obligation to the planet, bells in your bones. This fall I walked 105 miles through the Cotswolds in England. My friend Jan Dressler, who appreciates silence as much as I do, joined me. We've agreed not to talk until lunchtime. I sang now and then. Funny songs my family sang when I was a child. Be kind to your web-footed friends for that duck may be somebody's mother. And that lonesome road. Check out James Taylor singing it on YouTube. What we sing reveals our age and our hearts. In Elizabeth Berg's Open House, a character asks, You know what a naked star is? Stars with most of their gaseous atmospheres stripped away. And you know why they're revealed like that? Because of close encounters with other stars. I find something very human about that, don't you? The risk is that in close encounters with others, you'll be known. You'll be revealed changed and why not you've been strong for too many years try something different surrender it's good to need other people invite them in perhaps your daring disclosure will be a flop there's nothing wrong with that some of us have to go too far if all of us are to move along fierce conversations are not a form of showing off or parading a rich vocabulary past our companions who yawn and tune out afterward wondering why After all, she was so well-spoken. Our intelligence, even our genius, is not given to us so that we can brag or take credit for it. It's given to us so that we can be of service to others in some meaningful way. Fierce conversations are an effort to understand. First of all, for yourself. Something that is worthy of your pondering. They are deeply probing explorations. Speak about the things you want to understand. Most people want to share journeys of this kind. Forget about being clever or impressive. When we furnish our past with positive events, perhaps enhancing them and leaving out the ones we don't think others would find appealing or attractive, that leaves us as a perfect and therefore uninteresting human being to whom no one else who might be imperfect can relate. Forget also about persuading others to your view. Saying something louder doesn't make it true. What is called for now is quiet integrity. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. I determined long ago that to change my persona, omit my mistakes or withhold a controversial view for fear of what others might think was not only dishonest and ineffective, but would likely induce a contagious stupor. So I decided to show up authentically and consistently with everyone in my life. Might some people be put off by things I say? Certainly. And that's okay with me. If I tried to please everyone, I would lead a dull life indeed. The key is for you to show up, fully. You may be among people who don't support you. You may be among people who, loving or unloving, are simply not equipped to support the ambition of engaging in fierce conversations. This is not an unusual experience. The courage to show up is both simple and daunting. Once you show up, people can see you. They can judge and criticize and gossip. Some safety and comfort are lost when an ambition or strongly felt emotion is expressed. Perhaps if you've become impatient with the false identity you've created for yourself, life is inviting you into much larger worlds than you've imagined. Often people tell me that they will also say what they really want to say if they're with someone who is safe. In other words, their degree of honesty is totally up to other people. This always makes my toes curl. Life isn't safe – isn't meant to be safe. It's meant to be challenging, broadening, frightening even at times. Otherwise, we're not having an adventure. We're just sitting on the sofa wondering if something interesting will ever happen to us. And it probably won't unless we get up and go do something that feels a bit risky. Safety is overrated. It's time to show up. Intimacy is required in conversation now, at home and in the workplace. We must answer the big questions in our organisations. What are the questions that need posing? Philosophers, theologians, scientists and great teachers have debated this for ages. What is real? What is honest? What is quality? What has value? We affect change by engaging in robust conversations with ourselves, our colleagues, our customers our family, the world. Whether you're running a company, managing a team, governing a country or participating in a committed personal relationship, your ability to effect change will increase as you become more responsive to your world and to the individuals who are central to your happiness and success. My vision is that leaders of countries and companies will begin to engage in a level of dialogue rarely experienced in our shared history. During the 2016 political debate in the United States, I was reminded of something Adlai Stevenson said. The hardest thing about any political campaign is how to win without proving that you're unworthy of winning. When the political primaries were in full swing, voters' blood was boiling listening to would-be future leaders of the United States. Candidates from both parties left voters confused, frustrated, disgusted, frightened and angry. An us-versus-them mentality created a wider divide than ever before. Who could voters trust? Who could really fix what's broken? While it may sound a bit cheeky, and certain political purists may roll their eyes at the sentiment, I felt that we needed Pope Francis. If he had been running for president, he would have gotten my vote, and I'm not Catholic. I admire this Pope. Despite serious obstacles, he accomplished major bureaucratic housecleaning, set new directions and priorities for a global organisation not traditionally known for its innovation, and focused the attention and resources of the church on matters of global concern. Other popes had worked toward change and failed, some didn't even bother, and some made things worse. Pope Francis is number 266 in a long line of leaders. Consider what the Pope was up against within the Vatican and compare this to what the President of the United States is up against with Congress. Resistance to change? Check. Hidden agendas? Check. A culture of infighting and power struggles? Check. A network of powerful administrative departments that seem to despise each other? Check. Wars between conservative and liberal wings? Check. Throw in scandal? Check hubris, greed, cover-ups and conference rooms full of decision-makers with narcissistic personality disorder and you've pretty much got it. So how has Pope Francis accomplished so much? Why is he so popular? Let's start with how he became the Pope. George Mario Bergoglio didn't use negative television commercials, name-calling and profanity or an overactive ego to be considered for this position of leadership. There was no us versus them, no I'm right, they're wrong. Through a miraculous process unimaginable in the United States, Pope Francis was chosen by people with strongly opposing views. I suspect he may have been chosen in part because of his gentle unassuming nature. Some may have thought he could be controlled. Turns out, while he is gentle and kind, he is also strong. These are all qualities that any country should be looking for in its leader. Once chosen, it became clear that Pope Francis is a communicator. He has a Facebook page, he tweets, and when he speaks, it is without the usual Vatican filters. His goal isn't to get likes or to inflame, attack or defend. He has sought unity, resolution and focused action on matters like climate change, religious persecution and the suffering of so much of humanity. Pope Francis has sought engagement with the world, including those who do not share his beliefs. He engaged the world, including his adversaries, one conversation at a time, embodying a key trait of a great leader, the capacity to connect with others at a deep level. For many, Pope Francis has been a welcome change, a breath of fresh air, someone many of us would like to invite to dinner and a conversation. He has been influential, in part because the emotional wake during and following his comments is an afterglow, not an aftermath, an aftertaste. His conversation with the head of the Russian Orthodox Church ended a nearly thousand-year schism because of deep differences. Following the conversation, Pope Francis said, We are not competitors, but brothers. This too. Pope Francis serves as a positive role model for the young people who will soon be running our world. Consider these evocative and appropriate lyrics from the Sondheim musical, Into the Woods. Careful the things you say. Children will listen. We're always modelling something for our children. The question is, what are we modelling and how can we select leaders of companies and countries who will illustrate the values we wish to perpetuate? During the 2016 US political debates debacle, I read Mysteries: A Fine Balance. There's a scene in which the central character, Manek, meets a a speechwriter on a train who describes his approach to his work. I knew exactly the blather and bluster favoured by professional politicians. My modus operandi was simple. I made up three lists. Candidates' accomplishments, real and imaginary. Accusations against the opponent, including rumours, allegations, innuendos and lies. And empty promises. The more improbable the better. Then it was merely a matter of taking combinations of items from the three lists, throwing in some bombast, Tossing in a few local references, and there it was, a brand new speech. I was a real hit with my clients. Sad and accurate. We have a long way to go. We're a global economy, a global marketplace, relying on one another for survival. While we have a right to strongly held beliefs, our subjective truths often prevent intelligent dialogue. Multiple competing realities must be considered and valued. Until we master the courage and the skills needed to engage in conversations that help accomplish the goals of our shared civilization, devising a plan that transcends individual gain and personal ambition, we will move away from greatness, not toward it. It's time we mislaid all the normal words and the everyday questions that only lead to exchanges in which nothing of interest or usefulness occurs. Whether you're trying to come up with original thinking, transform a corporate culture improve customer renewal rates, enhance cross-boundary collaboration, develop emerging leaders or simply create heat, what's at the heart of fierce conversations is connection at a deep level with those who are important to our success and happiness. My mission is to transform the way we talk with one another. My mission is to extend this transformation beyond companies and into our global community. Margaret Weeks, one of our marvellous fiercelings, much better word than employees, told me about a commercial that she loves. Now I do too. Go to YouTube and search for Android. Be together, not the same. We should be with one we should be with one another like this. It is not enough to be willing to be willing or able to speak. The time has come for you to actually speak. Be willing to face mutiny everywhere but in yourself. Your time of holding back, of guarding your private thoughts, is over. Your function in life is to make a declarative statement. Walt Sutton, a wise and wonderful man, gave me great advice when I decided to write this book 15 years ago. I had so many questions. Should I outline the whole thing? What do I do with all these notes I've made over the years? Should I edit as I go? Should I... etc. Walt smiled and said... Write a shitty first draft. I laughed and breathed deeply because that I could certainly do. We make a start. We begin and find ourselves speaking in a deeper, richer language. Sometimes all we need to say, as Inspector Gamash suggests in Lewis Penny's novels, is, I don't know. I need help. I was wrong. I'm sorry. My hope is that you will sit beside someone you care for and begin. I feel you out there reader. Tell me how it goes for you. Susan at FierceInc.com